It's a great joy to be gathered together this morning with you to worship the Lord and to hear from His Word. Our text this morning is Psalm 46, and the title of the message is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This is the hymn from which Martin Luther penned, or this is the psalm, rather, from which Martin Luther penned the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It inspired his writing uh, of, of that hymn. And so as we, uh, as we look at the message this morning, or at the text this morning, I thought it fitting to title that uh, this morning's title. Before we read the text, would you begin by praying with me? Let us pray. Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, would you speak into our lives? Father, would you confront any evil or wickedness or sin within us? And would you cause us, Lord, to confess it before you, to repent of it and to turn from our wicked ways? Lord, we know that you see all things within us. You know, we know, Father, that you are Lord over all, sovereign over all creation. And so this morning, God, as we come to you and come to your word, we submit and surrender our hearts before you. And we ask, God, would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you instruct us in your word? Give us hearts to love your word and minds to comprehend your word and mouths that would ultimately utter and speak your word. And Father, give us strength to live your word out faithfully. So now, Lord, we pray and I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Mr. Al said, the theme of the text this morning is God with us. It's where we get the word Emmanuel from in Hebrew, the phrase God with us. And this psalm, Psalm 46, is ultimately what's called a Zion psalm. It's a psalm that speaks to us and teaches us about Jerusalem. And so it sets the violence of nature and nations in contrast with the unchanging, immovable God of all creation. The exact setting and time of Psalm 46 is uncertain. But it, it most likely represents one of the many military attacks and campaigns that enemies of Jerusalem brought against the city of Jerusalem that would threaten their security as a nation. And so for the people dwelling within the city of Jerusalem, when it seemed as if their whole world was about to come crashing down on them, a psalm, Psalm 46, would be a psalm that reminded God's people of His goodness that reminded God's people that they could trust in Him, that He's their refuge and their strength and their very present help in trouble. It reminds them that He is Emmanuel, God with us. The psalm also speaks to us today. It instructs us in similar ways as it did the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so that we too, we too can have confidence that God is our refuge, that He's our, our security, that He's our sovereign ruler. And so this morning, I want us to be encouraged that God gifts His believers with His presence. And He helps us by supplying strength in the midst of any and every trouble that befalls us. And so if you found your place in Psalm 46, I want to invite you to follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning, as we look at this passage in verses one through three, we see that God is our refuge and our fortress, specifically verses one through three, that God is our refuge. We see in verses seven and eleven, there's this refrain that really repeats what he's saying in verse one. The Lord of hosts is our God or the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is both a refuge and a fortress. So verse 1 tells us about God. So first, I I want us to see this morning from verse 1, three reasons we're to have confidence in God. As a believer, here are three reasons, believer, you can have confidence in the Lord your God. First, because, as we've already said, He is our refuge. Uh, The word refuge, it, it means a place of shelter. It's a place where a person can come and they can find help. They can find protection from harm. So the psalmist finds protection in God in the midst of storm and war. He's declaring God is our provider and protector from every trouble in life. And he's saying in God, we have a secure place. Do you know that this morning? That is the promise of Scripture. That is the promise of our good God, our Creator. In Him, we have a secure place. We have a safe place. Not only is He our refuge, but verse 1 says He is our strength. He enables the righteous, though weak and weary, to continue walking in His way. He's a strong tower against the enemy. And he supplies strength to the weak. He empowers his people to act, to live faithfully, to follow him. He's our refuge. He's our strength. And the third reason we're to have confidence in God is because he's a very present help in trouble. To be a very present help in trouble means God does for his people what his people cannot do for themselves. That's what God does. 
He's readily accessible. That means he is a very present help. He is readily accessible. He's ready to be found by his people. And this speaks of the very nature of God toward mankind. God's help and providential care for mankind can be traced back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Even in the beginning of creation in the garden, where the Lord took action and provided a helper for Adam. God did for Adam what Adam couldn't do for himself. We see this theme throughout Scripture. God makes, takes from Adam and makes from Adam's bone a woman who would come and be his helper. And so we see throughout all of Scripture, even from the very beginning, that God is at work helping and providing for his people. He helps with good provision, but he also helps us with protection from evil. It's illustrated so many places in, in Scripture, but one place is 1 Samuel 7.12 where the Israelites were engaging in war in battle against the Philistines. And they had many false gods in their camp. And so Samuel judged Israel and caused them to return to the Lord and to remove the false gods from out of their homes. And as they removed the false gods and turned to the Lord, the result was that they began winning, and the Lord enabled them to win the war and defeat the Philistines. And as a result, Samuel takes a stone, and he sets it in place between Mizpah and Shin. And you know what he called that stone? Here I raise my what? Ebenezer. It means a stone of help. He turns to God, he sees God, and he knows in God's people. Samuel and God's people knew that without the Lord's divine intervention, there was no hope. They were without hope. And here's the point, brothers and sisters. God has designed creation so that we would live our lives dependent upon him. It's not only sinful, it's foolish to live rejecting God's rightful help and his place in and over our lives. And so he helps us with good provision. He helps us with protection from evil. He helps us with deliverance through trials and troubles. What trials and troubles are you walking through? You know that God comes alongside of you, that he calls you to come to him, to to give him of your cares and your worries, to take upon yourself his yoke, to be yoked together with Christ. James 1, 2 through 5 says, Consider all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance and perseverance, right? And this endurance and perse- it's working together within the believer so that as we come to God, if we lack wisdom, we may ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. This is us turning our eyes toward God, finding our refuge in Him, because God is our refuge, our strength, and our help. How does a believer know God is our refuge, as our strength and our help? I believe the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus makes this very promise to his disciples and to us. In John 14, 16, he promises one who would come as a what? As a helper. And the helper would be with you forever, he says. John 14, 23, Jesus answered those, his disciples, those who love him, Jesus, and keep his word. He says, me, I and the father, we will come to him and we will make our home with him. 
in John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So it is for all who come to Christ. We find refuge in God. He's the supplier of our strength through Christ, right? Who identified with us in our humanity. But he is also in him. We we also find the very present helper in our troubles. We find the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst as a gift, as a seal of our inheritance, brothers and sisters. And so here's what this does. It gives the believer confidence in God. And because of this, we have no reason to fear. Verses 2 and 3 tell us this. They, they, they point us to see that even in the face of natural disasters and life-threatening circumstances, those who are trusting in God have no reason to fear. Why? Because we have confidence in God and our confidence in God supersedes any calamity that's going on around us. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Though all of these things happen, listen to what he says. Therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist describes earthquakes, tidal waves, mountains crashing into the sea. God's greater than all the forces of nature, and he's sovereign over them. There's a word that he can speak in the midst of chaos and calm it all. Just as Jesus did in Matthew 8, 24, right? He's with the disciples in the boat. A great storm arises on the sea, and Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat, and the disciples wake him up, and they say, Lord, we're about to perish. Do something. And he says to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And it left the disciples puzzled, saying, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Verses 1 through 3 expound on this great truth about who God is. He's our refuge. He's our strength and he's our help because he is with us. This is the great anthem of Deuteronomy 36, calling God's people to trust him because he never leaves us and he doesn't forsake us. The same truth that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 18, 20 in the Great Commission, saying he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Listen, this is the confidence that we as believers can have as we are hidden in Christ. Therefore, we will not fear. We will trust God, our refuge, our strength, our help. Are you trusting God this morning? Is God your place of refuge? Is your faith in God able to stand in the midst of natural disasters, in the midst of life-sized disasters? The psalmist is saying he's our very present help in trouble. Not only is God our refuge in the turbulence of natural disasters, but the psalmist goes on to say that God is our security 
in the midst of political unrest. If verses 1 through 3 teach us about who God is, verses 4 through 7 grounds the faith of believers in three demonstrable ways. And so we see that God is our security in the midst of political unrest because of His power. Because of His power. Look at verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Rage here is the same word that's used of the waters in verse 3. Though its waters roar, the nations roar. They rage against God. They rage against the holy city of Jerusalem. Their enemies seek to tear it down and to destroy it. He says the kingdoms of the earth, they totter. It's the same word used in verse 2 to describe the slipping or the moving of the mountains into the sea. Though they seem unmovable, they ultimately can't stand against God. They slip. They stagger in instability. So the first stanza of verse 6 describes the assault of the enemy nations on God's holy city. But get this, the second stanza gives God's people the hope and the confidence needed to keep their trust firmly rooted in God, our security. He's powerful. He's powerful to defeat and judge his enemies who stand against him. For they've aligned themselves with Satan. Look at what it says, that second phrase in verse 6. He utters his voice. The earth melts. In other words, the God of glory thunders, raising his voice in pronouncement of judgment on the wicked. And with one powerful decree, the earth melts away like an ice cube dropped on a hot pavement. It's gone. This power is further evidenced in verse 7 by the title, The Lord of Hosts. This reminds God's people that there is no foe worthy to oppose the Lord of hosts of armies. He's the all-powerful God of legions, of angels, and they're at his disposal. We hinted at this last week in Psalm 35 where it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Today we still see the nations raging against God, don't we? We see the nations raging against God's people, against the church. Our nation rages against God by embracing and celebrating laws contrary to God's design in marriage. Currently, 19 nations have embraced same-sex marriage. Argentina, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, the United Kingdom, Uruguay, Ireland, and most recently, the United States. Our nation rages against God by defending and practicing the deplorable actions of Planned Parenthood with their selling of the organs and body parts of aborted infants. Our nation rages against God by embracing the false gods of pleasure and self. Moral and ethical scandals are prolific in the high offices of our land. Listen, church, we live in a nation and a culture that's rejected God and has shaken its fist in the face of God. 
And I believe we're seeing the groundwork being laid for the church to be under attack in America. But this isn't a new thing for the church. The early church was birthed in the midst of persecution. And the church is persecuted even today in many nations across the globe. So church, while we pray for his mercy on our nation, we pray for his power and swift justice on the wicked. We pray for his strength to stand for justice as we sang and proclaim the gospel of grace, begging sinners to repent and to turn to Christ. God is our security in the midst of political unrest because of his power, but also because of his presence. Look at what verse says. Verse seven says just after that title, the Lord of hosts, it says what is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. This continues the assurance of his presence. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Hebrew word used here, as I said a moment ago, is the word where we get the word Emmanuel from, God with us. And here is the greatest hope of all in this life. The promise of God with us is seen throughout Scripture. And the promise of God with us has its fulfillment in the person and the work of Christ in his incarnation when he stepped down out of heaven and took upon human flesh and he walked this earth. And one day we'll see the final fulfillment of the consummation of the ages when we enter in to God's eternal city as he speaks about in verse 4. So what are we to make of the enemy's threats Against us, church. When the threats come, when the advances and the attacks come, here's what I think we do. First, we warn. Hear the woeful words of Luke 12, 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. We warn. We work. Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked the disciples, right, who do you say that I am? His disciples gave these answers. Peter speaks up, says, you're the Christ, the son of living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is no power that will prevail against the church. And so we work. He tells him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so we have work to do. We have proclamation to make. We have people to reach with the gospel of Christ. There are many souls who need to hear and be converted and turned from their wicked ways, from being set against God to being under and in the refuge of God. And so we, we not only warn and work, but here's the thing, we proclaim. Church, hear the exhortation of Scripture this morning and the reality of our calling. Let us take refuge in God our fortress Because God's fortress, the fortress of God, is an inaccessible high place of God to our enemies. And we run to it. And we rest in it. And we find ourselves in it so that we might take shelter 
that we might come to Him in the midst of our need. Let us find strength in the very present help of God so that we proclaim the message of salvation in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Because, listen, God has many people in this city. You see the big picture of the gospel at work here? While we battle against the sinful cravings of our flesh, and I'm not saying we don't need to do that, while we have these internal battles day in and day out, there is an all-out spiritual war happening day by day in this world for the souls of men and women who are lost in darkness. And church, our mission as priests in the world is to live out our holy calling. We must warn and we must work and we must proclaim God is our security in the midst of political unrest because of his power, because of his presence, but also because of his promise. Look in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. King Hezekiah took a wise and practical step or many, rather, to to ensure that Jerusalem had unfailing water supply. And the reason he did it was so that they could withstand a siege if, if, if an army or enemy came against them. And so what he did was, in the Kidron Valley, he diverted the spring of Gihon through conduit of hewn-out rock for about 1,777 feet. And he diverted it into a reservoir inside the city walls. Then he covered the stream so the enemies wouldn't know that it was there. And this provided for the inhabitants of Jerusalem an unending supply of fresh water in the midst of a siege so they could stand. You see, God's promise to his people is that there's an unending supply of life and goodness in his presence. Jeremiah 2.13 says the river is God, the fountain of living waters. Zechariah 13.1 prophetically speaks of Christ, saying this river is Christ, the the fountain that cleanses us from from sin. In John 4.14, Jesus speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, this is God's presence with his people. And in verse 5, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There is security in this place. Though trouble assails God's people through the night. The second line there in verse 5 says, God will help her when the morning dawns. You see, help comes in the morning. The immovable presence of God's holy habitation is contrasted with the mountains and the tottering nations. God is the only true security in this life and in all the world. And that's the point that the psalmist wants us to see. He is the only true security. So God is our security in the midst of political unrest because of his power, because of his presence because of his promise. But thirdly, this morning, I I want us to see that God is our sovereign ruler as well. He's our sovereign ruler. In verses 8 through 11, there is a message to proclaim. 
He says in verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. This invitation to come and behold, it's really a command. It's an imperative in the Hebrew language. Come and behold, see the works of God. See what God is doing. See what He's up See the judgment that will come. For He brings desolation. Verse 8. It's a a horrific and atrocious vision to see what will happen through God's judgment on the wicked. He brings desolation. He breaks the power of the warrior. Verse 9. There's no army that can stand up to the Lord of hosts. God's judgment will be total and God's enemies will be silenced. Because as verse 9 says, he makes wars to cease. You see, those who are positioned against God and his holy people must see this and repent before it's too late. They must hear the proclamation of God's people calling them to repentance. There's coming a day when God will put all his enemies under Christ's feet and he alone will be exalted. There is a message to proclaim, and that message is this, that God will be exalted. He will be exalted in the earth. He will be exalted in the heavens. Eugene Peterson said of this psalm, two commands direct us from the small-minded world of self-help to the large world of God's help. First, come, behold the works of the Lord. And the second command is, be still and know that I am God. It's no wonder that Martin Luther was inspired by this psalm to write what's called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. A mighty fortress is our God. For in it, he commands us to come to him, to delight in the rivers of his goodness, and to hear him, and to be in his presence, and to be still. And to know that he is God. Be still is the command to stop. Stop what you're doing. The nation's raging against God. Stop raging against God. Realize the truth. And the truth is this, that God is sovereign. He is ruler over all. For the believer, we hear the words of the psalmist as a command. It's a calming command to quiet our restless hearts. To be still before God. To trust in the Lord fully. To know the peace of God. These are the words that Jesus speaks from the boat in the restless waves. Right? Mark records in Mark 4.39. Jesus stands up and he speaks to creation. And he says, peace, be still. And it was calm. Brothers and sisters, here is the God of all creation. Who says to you and I, come. Behold my works. Come to me. 
find refuge here. I am your very present help. In the midst of troubles, in the midst of great affliction, he says, come. So Christ, our Savior, speaks into our lives. And he says to us, come. Peace, be still. Know that I am God. The sovereign ruler over all creation gives us this gentle invitation to slow down, to spend time listening and hearing from God, and to realize the truth about this psalm and the the reality about God this morning. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Isn't this what Paul said of Christ in Philippians 2.10? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to to the glory of God the Father. So the refrain of verse 11 The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It reminds us that God is big enough to deal with our personal problems. He's big enough to deal with wars and political strife and moral and ethical wickedness and earthquakes and hurricanes and volcanoes and all kinds of natural disasters. And he's big enough to make wars cease because he's the commander and the chief of the host of heaven. And he alone will be exalted in the heavens. Our God is a mighty fortress. Our God is a refuge. He's our security. He's our sovereign ruler. And in Him we're safe and secure for eternity. Is this true in your life this morning? That you too have found refuge in Christ as Lord that you too have found strength that comes from the river of life, that river that Christ speaks about, which in him, from him, when we believe upon him, will flow rivers out of us, rivers of of living water, or rivers of, of life. Believer, are you trusting in him, or have you lost sight of him? I invite you this morning to make the good confession of faith in Christ if you've not done so. Believer, I invite you this morning to come in repentance before the Lord or to just rejoice, rejoice in this reality that this is our God. There is nothing that can shake our foundations when we're trusting in Him. For He is the foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. I want to exhort you this morning. If you're running from Christ, stop running. Surrender. If you're trusting in all kind of other things for your happiness or your satisfaction, stop it. Find refuge in God. Find refuge in Christ your Savior. And this morning, if you don't know this God, this Christ, repent of sin, turn from your wickedness, and profess faith in Him.
For he alone can save. In him there is great security. Let us pray. Father, what a powerful and awesome God you are. God, move us from complacency. Move us from our love for sin and replace it with a deep love for you. Make us glad in the streams that come from your presence. Teach us, Lord, how to delight in you. And let us not fear, but run, run to you, our refuge, our strength, our very present help in need. And now, Lord, give us strength, even this morning, to make the good confession of Christ as Savior. Oh, God, give us strength this morning to rejoice in your goodness and to declare your name and your praise so that all will see that our God saves. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.